0: In 2020, according to one source, there were 21,570 murders committed in the USA. That works out to 59 per day. In 2017, the USA had the fourth highest homicide rate behind El Salvador, Honduras, and Venezuela. And this demonstrates that this is a worldwide problem. On average, according to one online database, a rape is committed every one to two minutes in the United States. And every day, about 28 people die in motor vehicle accidents related to drunkenness. There is conflict around the world on both large and small scales. And there is conflict within our own country over politics, economics, morality, sexuality, and every other possible subject. These conflicts and violations of other people's bodies and taking of other people's lives are all associated with the darkness of this present evil age. It's a present evil age that we live in. Galatians 6 talks about this. So also does 1 John chapter 5, talking about how the whole world lies in the lap of the wicked one. And so it's described as darkness. Our passage this morning encourages us that this darkness, or nighttime, is coming toward an end. And the day of the Lord and its associating light is coming. Essentially, we get the sense that our passage is telling us that a new day is dawning. There's darkness over the land. But you can see on the horizon, the sun is about to rise. And when it does, the darkness scatters. And the light takes over. Take a look with me, please, at Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. Romans 13, 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand so then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He talks in verse 11 about the time or the hour and, and also salvation. And then the day. These are words that can be used to refer to the fulfillment of God's promises. That, that day when light will rule. Because God will visibly rule, not only from heaven, but on earth as well. Take a look, please, at Luke chapter 18. Turn to Luke 18. While you're turning there, keep, keep your ears open, please. I want to talk a little bit as you're turning to Luke 18. There are so many ways people drill down into discussions on eschatology, which is the study of last things. You know, people want to talk about a pre tribulation rapture or a pre wrath rapture or a post tribulation rapture, premillennialism, postmillennialism, amillennialism, and then my favorite pan millennialism. It'll all pan out in the end. Uh, you can you can really get deep into those things and, and those are worthy discussions. There are also times to simplify our view of the coming day, uh, and we can simplify them with some biblical words. um, They can be simplified this way, this age and the age to come, this age and the age to come. We're in Luke chapter 18, look at verses 22 and following. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, you've already getting a sense of what the context was, was the rich young ruler, remember? He said, oh, teacher, tell me how I can gain eternal life. And Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. Oh, I did all that. <laughs> and, and Jesus said, yeah, there's one thing you still lack. He says, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had... Become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is, excuse me, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. On the heels of the rich young ruler being instructed to sell everything and to give it to the poor, Peter says, ooh, 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 I did that. We did that. You know, you've ever been there? That one, you're the teacher's pet. I've done that already. I'm all set. I always be good. Had that happen in my house one time. Hey, how did um, how'd school go? Well, you know, I got, I got a good day. Well, you know, how did your day go? I always be good. That was what my littlest daughter said. You know, we quote that a lot. This is Peter. I, I, I did that. I, I did all those things. Everything's fine. And Jesus says that this will... This selling, this giving away, this not holding on and treasuring the here and now, this will pay off both now and it will pay off in the time to come. So the concept is not to dig into the selling of things, it's that categorization of this age, the now, and the one to come, the age to come in which we'll have eternal life. The age to come, which our passage back in Romans 13 speaks about, refers to salvation. That salvation will be a time of peace and righteousness, joy, and fullness. You can read about it in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. It will be eternal light. God will dwell with his people and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. All pain and sorrow and sickness will be done. That's the age to come. We look down the road. It's, it's on the horizon. That age to come will, in fact, come. It will come. It's still future, but it will come. It's certain because Jesus Christ has already won the war. Through His death and His, his life, His death, His burial and His resurrection, the forces of darkness have been defeated. I want to draw your attention to two passages They'll be on the screens to my left and right. Jesus has won the war. The death blow to Satan and his forces has been already struck. Listen to these words in 1 Colossians 2. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How did he do it? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Okay, So we see the context. Our sins are forgiven. We've been made alive. This took place by the death of Christ on the cross. Now listen to what it says in the rest of the verse. He, speaking of Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So the the forces of darkness, the kingdom of darkness that rises up against the light, it's already been defeated. It's a a certainty that that day will come. And yet, we still deal with some of the ramifications. In Ephesians chapter 1, we see a similar concept. Speaking about the power exhibited by God, it says um, that uh, He, the power that God worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places... He did this, and Jesus is far above all rule. He's far above all authority. He's far above all power and all dominion. And he's above every name that is named. Will you read the rest of this verse with me? Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The age to come. Two separate ages. There's the this age and the one to come age. Very simple. Not complicated. The victory is certain. Jesus has already won that victory. He's already been placed in, in headship, lordship, over these kingdoms that are underneath him. But there are elements of that warfare that are still playing out. This is why in Romans 13, he's talking about the darkness. And the night is far spent. It's, it's coming to an end. But it's not over. Over. There's elements of that warfare still in play. The full display and results of victory will be realized at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That will be on full display. What is interesting is that while the full realization of the age to come is certain, and it's certainly future, there are aspects of the age to come that have broken into this age. There are aspects of the age to come that have broken into this current age. Here are some examples of that. When a person trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're born again. And they're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. That is one change that takes place. The powers of the coming age being brought into the present age as God transfers us from one kingdom to another. Further than that, we have received a foretaste of God's eternal presence, for God has placed his Holy Spirit into us. And the Holy Spirit brings with him the powers of the age to come, according to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 5. We are said to be raised with Christ in Colossians 3. We are said to be, that it is said that our life is hidden with Christ in God. This is a power of the age to come. We are spoken of as dead to sin and alive to God. This is a power of the age to come. It's breaking into our current age. We are described as holy. We are described as righteous. These are declarations from God. He has declared these things to be so. The Bible says that we have put on the new self. And that we have been crucified with Christ. In these ways, the age to come has broken into this age. But, here's where the tension comes in. At the same time, we're told to put off the old man. And we're told to put on the new man. And so, while the powers of the coming age have broken into this age by the regeneration that God has made, and when He makes us alive, there's still the problem of darkness that surrounds us. And so we, we struggle with this. Some have phrased this contrast as living in the tension of the already, not yet. These are not complicated terms. What does that mean, though? It means that the kingdom of Jesus Christ has already been inaugurated, but the full realization of the kingdom has not yet fully been realized. So in other words, at the coming of Christ, He ushered in a last times period. A time where the powers of the future were ready to break through. And we see glimpses and glimmers of that power breaking into our present age. It's a beautiful thing. You have these spiritual realities. When God sees you, He sees His righteous Son. You are holy. In life, we desire then to live from those realities. The fact that God has done this work We desire to live from that reality that Christ has done that work on our behalf and have it demonstrated in our lives in a way that that benefits a world that is enshrouded by darkness. Think about this. The whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. This is a present evil age. As those that have been brought from death to life, And from darkness to light. From those that have gone from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. For those that were also enshrouded in darkness. And yet have within us the light of life through Christ. We have the opportunity to either continue the darkness. And meld into the darkness. And let the darkness continue to pervade our day. Or we can be vessels and instruments of God that demonstrate His light, His kingdom, His life in such a glorious way. Our passage this morning uses an illustration of this transition of time from this age to the age to come. And the picture is that of lying in bed during the night. And the night is just about over and the dawn is nearing. And He essentially tells us cast off the covers, get out of bed, and get dressed for action. This is essentially what he says. Everything that God is going to do, He is going to do. The darkness is only going to last just so long. The the powers of the age to be, the light of Christ, will absolutely rise and shine and the darkness will be dispelled. There's no question about this. In the meantime, while we sit in that time where the darkness is just about over, the night is just about spent, what does he tell us to do? He says, get up. Wake up. It's time for action. So take a look, please, again, at Romans chapter 13 as we try to look through our passage a little bit this morning. We'll look at it some this morning and some next week. Our plan is to cover 11-13 through 13 this morning and verse 14 next week. We're talking right now about waking up. Get up. Verse 11. He says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to, what does it say? Wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to you now than when you first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off. He says, cast off. The works of darkness has the idea of throwing off the bed sheets. So in my house, when I was growing up, my mom and dad had different ways that they would wake me up. As I was a teenager, on the third floor of our what to me seemed like a gigantic house, I would be lying in bed, sleeping, happy, happy sleeping. And my father would want me to go to men's meeting with him on Saturday mornings. We lived in Seekonk. The church was in Warwick. Took about 20 minutes to get there. 7 a.m. So he'd start waking me up at about 10 minutes of 6 or 6 o'clock. And my father's methodology was Rob, you're getting up? He's from the bottom of the stairs. Rob, you gonna get up? Yes. Are you gonna get up? Yes. I haven't heard the thump thump. That was thump thump. So Smart guy I am, I drop my foot over the edge of the bed and go, <laughs> there it was. I don't think, as I think about it now, I don't think it was very convincing. That was my dad's methodology. I would eventually get up, we'd go to men's meeting, great. My mother had an all together different methodology to wake me up. Rob, it's time to get up. Okay. Rob, it's time to get up. You, you get, brace yourself this is this haunts my night, my dreams Robert It was so effective I was up and not going back to sleep ever again well till the next time Wake up it's time it's time to it's time to get up why the night's the night's over it's 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 coming to an end it's time to, to do something with this time that we have, so he says, wake up. Jesus told his followers the same thing in, in Mark chapter 13. We're not going to turn there right now, but you can take a look later. Mark 13, 32 through 37. He says, Stay awake, be awake, get up. Same idea with the, the, the coming of the end. Wake, wake up. So in order for us to be children of the day, can't be sleeping the night away, right? When the light comes. Story's over for us, right? We'll be with the Lord. We'll serve Him forever. But but this life is over. The time we have is this age. This age. During the darkness. During the night. Don't squander the night away. Wake up. And He tells us this. Essentially, throw off the sheets and get dressed. Verse 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. One of the three uses of this word for casting off this throwing the sheets off. One of the three uses of this word is used in Mark chapter 10. It's of a blind man named Bartimaeus. I want you to picture the scene for a moment to just kind of get a glimpse of the passion associated with this casting off. There's blind Bartimaeus. He's sitting on the side of the street, essentially. He's, he's got his cloak on, and he, he hears the, the, the ruckus going by, And he knows that Jesus is in the crowd and he's basically saying, Master, help me. And people are rebuking him. Stop, stop, you're bothering him. But he was undaunted. Please, help me. And Jesus is, call him to me. And you know what the Bible says his response to Jesus calling him? in Mark chapter 10 and verse 50, he says, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. In other words, there was a a passion within him. Why? Why was he passionate to come to Jesus when Jesus responded to his pleas for mercy? The reason that Jesus, uh, that that Bartimaeus was passionate is because he was going to finally receive the the healing. He was going to be able to see. So he he, he doesn't just casually say, Oh, all right, this is gonna be great. I uh, hope this works out. He he chucks his clothes, his, his cloak off, springs up, and runs over. Why? Because there's some something that's gonna happen. This is life-changing. This is life-changing. And this, this is essentially the same passion that Paul is telling you and I to take to this. Life is on the line. Not ours. I, I already know Jesus. Do you already know Jesus? Has He already saved you? Do you know you're going to spend eternity with Him? So your life is not on the line. The the light's going to come. That'll be the end of this age. And you'll be gloriously enjoying God forever. But there are people that are not of the light. They have not yet received the salvation that God offers. And their lives are on the line. And so the passion that we throw off the bedclothes and put on the armor of light and get to, to work is because there are people that don't know. And they need the light of Christ. Now, the light's going to come. But right now, do you know that God has told you and I that while Jesus is the light of the world, He's also said that you are the light of the world? It's not our light. It's not like, oh, look at how special I am. I'm the light. No, He's the light. And He lives in me. And that living light of Christ in me is the reason that we still reside in the darkness. So that people can see Him. Him. So He tells us with passion to throw off the bedsheets and put on the armor of light. He doesn't tell us to put on a three-piece suit or a Gucci running suit with Yeezys. He tells us to put on the armor of light. Let's take a look at what the armor of light uh, is like. Take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Put on the armor of light. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verses 4 through 8. Now, Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica, the Thessalonian church, and he starts by saying, you are not... In the darkness, verse 4, you are not in the darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all, what does it say, children of light. You are what? Children of the day. We are not of the night, and we are not of the darkness. So then, let us not do what? Sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. Same kind of concept. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober minded, having put on, caref- listen carefully, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. He's telling us what to be equipped with. What is the armor of light? Well, in verse 8, it's faith, love, and hope. Or faith, hope, and love is how we like to say it, right? This, this, this is the way, the, 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 the triplet goes nicely. Faith, hope, and love. He does it, faith, love, and hope. It's all right, we can do it in any direction. These beautiful traits are from God. Faith, hope, hope and love are from God. They are not self-manufactured. I can't make myself have faith. I can not I can hope to have hope. I can hope to have faith. I can hope to love. These are things that come from God. They are gifts of God's good, kind grace. Faith is a gift that comes from God and a fruit of God's Spirit's work within us. In a world filled with tragedy, uncertainty, and brokenness. It can be hard to see good things, can't it? But God is near to us in the midst of sorrow. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. And His Spirit reminds us of His heavenly fatherly nature. And the Spirit through us cries out, Abba, Father. This tenderness of a a young child looking to their father. The Spirit does this. He gives us faith to know that God is not an ogre judge in the sky ready and desirous to rain down lightning bolts upon us, but a Father who tenderly wants to provide and pull us in through the work of His Son. We have this faith that comes through God's Spirit. And when we have no words to pray, God's Spirit prays, on our behalf in giving us his spirit to dwell in us god has poured out his love love into us we have come to understand what the bible means in first john chapter 4 and verse 19 we love because he first loved us love is not something i manufacture faith is not something i manufacture Hope is not something I manufacture. These are are good gifts from a good God. So when he tells us, cast off the sheets, cast off the works of darkness, those come very naturally to us. It's easy to be angry. It's easy to be covetous. It's easy to lust after someone. It's easy to hoard our money. It's easy to want someone else's money. That comes naturally. Cast off the works of darkness. That that by your own nature, those works of darkness that just meld into the rest of society, that comes easy to us. Cast them off, fling them, and put on the armor of light. These don't come easily. In fact, these are impossible for us, but by the grace of God. And so we're dependent on God to produce within us this faith, hope, and love. We know that God continually multiplies His love in us as we walk by the Spirit. God has, through His Spirit, given us hope about the certainty of His promises. He instills in us a desire for the full experience of His presence. Don't you, don't you hunger and thirst for a day when you're not just the way you are anymore? Don't you get frustrated with the way you deal with stuff, the way you process things? It gets tiring. It gets tiring to be frustrated. It gets tiring to feel lack. We we long for that day when we are in the presence of the Lord. And all of the lacking is filled with fullness. That, lack, that, that desire for the future and the certainty of its coming. This is a gift of God's Spirit who gives us hope. Hope in the promises of God. This is the armor of light. These are the weapons of light. Faith, hope, and love. Head back please to, to Romans Head back to Romans while you're going there. I want you to think, okay? He's telling us, know the time. The hour has come. It's time to wake up. Salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. At every moment, we're closer. It still feels far, doesn't it? It still feels far. Maybe for some of you, you feel like it's less far. Maybe you feel like it's imminent for you. It's possible. But like for most of us here, I think it feels far. It feels down the road. The night is far spent. Salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor. Armor of light. So you think, cast off the sheets and put on put on your running suit. Cast off the sheets and put on something comfy. No, cast off the shoes and put on the armor. He's telling us that we're in the midst of a battle. This is real stuff. Jesus has already won the victory. We got it. We believe it. And we're sure of it. But we're still in the grind. You don't get to the Super Bowl without the grind of the preseason and what comes before it, the the training camps, right? You don't get to the NBA playoffs without the, the boot camps that lead up to the season and then grinding out the season. A lot of times it's a war of attrition. People, people are casualties in the course of the, the season. They blow out a knee. Uh, they have a herniated disc in their back or whatever other thing. And so whatever teams are left standing, they've made it through the grind and then they get to the playoffs and then ultimately to the championship game. We understand all that about sports. We understand that about life understand that about this, this warfare that we're in the midst of? God is letting us know. This is, this is not going to be super easy. Now, the victory is won. We believe it. And we're convinced of it. It's glorious. But we're in the midst of the grind right now. Cast off the works of darkness, and you've got to get equipped. What's the equipment? It's not yours. What's the equipment? It's not mine. What's the equipment? It's not ours. The equipment is his. Salvation is of the Lord. And the armor is the Lord's. It's the armor of light. And so we seek by God's grace to have this armor of light. We live in a world filled with crushing darkness. But we've been equipped... With the armor of light. And in this way, the light of the coming day in some ways is invading our present darkness. When you strap on the armor of light in the midst of darkness, people get to see the light of God's glorious way. The faith that God has infused you with. And the hope that God has placed within you. And the love that God is multiplying within you. This is all His glorious work. And we say, Lord, let me just be a vessel to let You do this. Cast off the works of darkness. Let Him put on the armor of light. Then He essentially says in verse 13, walk in the light. He tells us to walk in the light. He doesn't use those words exactly, but that's the concept. Take a look at verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. All right, so let's, let's take some, some moments here. I'm going to try to get myself on an even keel. While we do not usher in this light, that'll happen completely by the power of God in His own timing. God uses his people as a source to point to the light of our Savior, who is the light of the world. With these pieces of armor referred to in our passage that we read in 1 Thessalonians 5, our lives can be a source of encouragement about the coming day. He tells us here to walk properly, walk properly as in the daytime. The word walk means to it's our manner of life. It's day in and day out. Let the, the way your life preaches, that the way your life is ordered and established, may it be done properly. The word properly there is decently or orderly. The word's used in two other places. In 1 uh, Corinthians 14, it talks about doing things in a way in the church that people are built up, doing things decently and in order. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it talks about you know, living out your lives, not minding other people's business, and actually going to work instead of having other people pay for your stuff. Pretty easy. Live a normal, productive life. Live decently. Don't like be a freeloader. Make sense? Just an illustration. Walk properly, he says, as in the daytime. And then he contrasts walking properly in the daytime... With three categories that are of the nighttime. So let's think about this. I'll first, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, the categories, and then we'll kind of work our way through it pretty quickly. He tells us not to walk in disorderly use of substances. That category there is not in orgies and drunkenness, not in drinking parties and drunkennesses, essentially. So you can apply that, and we'll apply that in various ways in a moment. Not in disorderly participation in sex. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. And then a third category, not walking in disorderly personal relationships. Not in quarreling and jealousy. So let's kind of work our way through it kind of easily. Those will stay up there, just kind of be as your little guidance here. Substance abuse is a huge problem in our day. It's obvious, right? And it has been in the course of human history. You can talk about alcohol abuse, you can talk about recreational drugs, or you can talk about prescription drugs. Does some of these substances have a proper use? Of course. You know, this is what Paul t- told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 23. He said, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Of course, there are proper usages. When substances, however, are abused... The abuser is harmed, the person doing it. His or her family is harmed. There are often unintended consequences, right? We call those DUI, driving under the influence. That can be alcohol, it can be other substances, DUI. Other actions that take place as a result of people's minds not being rightly controlled. When your mind is not controlled properly, all bets are off, right? This is why murders have taken place in, in, a, in a drunken rage, or you know, police officers trying to keep someone from, from pursuing them. They, they, "Hey, stop, stop," And they keep coming right through all of the warnings, right through all of the defensive measures, because they're hu- hyped up on something, right? Substance abuse. This is, this is a, it's a major problem. That is part of the nighttime. Part of the nighttime. How about sexual abuse? is another major problem in our society. God has beautifully and graciously blessed the marriage relationship and is designed for sexual fulfillment in marriage. However, when sex is enjoyed outside of that relationship, there is always damage to numerous parties. It's true whether we're talking about premarital intimacy, adultery in marriage and the damaging parts that ratchet from there, the damage that takes place through rape or pedophilia produce lasting damage to its victims. These are acts of the evil darkness among which we live. And then there's relationship abuse. This is no less significant Relationship abuse. It seems tame comparatively. But at the heart of murder and thievery are jealousy and quarreling. God has designed human relationships to be mutually beneficial. Solomon declares in his meditation about the meaninglessness of life without God that life is better with friends. And God himself said in the Garden of Eden when there was just Adam... Hey, it's not good that man should be alone. And so God prepared a helper fit for him. Yet because of the darkness of our own sinful hearts, rather than being beneficial to others, we are often seeing others as competitors. You have a house that I want. You have the job that I want. You have the wife That I want. And the problem becomes compounded from the desire to the actual work to obtain for themselves what they naturally desire. In other words, I want your house, and so I'm going to go and get some stuff out of it. I want your wife, and so I'm going to make that happen. These arise from quarreling and they arise from jealousy. Instead of this disorderly way, we see that God has told us another way to view all of this. This passage will be on the screen for us to consider, and it'll be on there for, for a while while I finish my thoughts or our thoughts together. In First Timothy chapter six and verse 17, the Bible says this: "As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes." on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. This is a really important concept. When we have material possessions, we can either treasure those things or treasure the God who gave them. When we treasure the material, We tend to need to grasp onto it and make sure we don't lose it somehow. And oftentimes, this becomes a great burden. How will I keep my resources and how will I gain more for myself? I love this stuff. This is great. This makes me comfortable. Let me use all of my energy to make sure I have it for myself. Can you see the burden? Have you ever felt the burden? probably. On the other hand, when we treasure the one who gave it, we are free to enjoy the treasure that he has provided for us. Why do we treasure God in this scenario? Because we realize that all good that we have comes from his good hand. We live in an age characterized by darkness Our own resources produce darkness. But God has given us light. We hold this treasure in earthen vessels or clay pots. We have the opportunity to shine the light of Christ in an age of darkness. And in doing so, listen carefully to this, in doing so, we point people to the age to come or... I should have phrased that differently. We point people to the God of the age to come. It's not about the age to come. It's about the God of the age to come. The age to come will come because God will make it come. Our affection, our satisfaction, our benefit comes in knowing this God who has given the opportunity for light and life. Next week we'll focus on Romans thirteen 14. It'll help us to see further how we can be vessels of light in this present darkness. The armor of light prescribed is provided to us from God. Faith is not in ourselves. It is faith in our great God. Hope is not wishful thinking. It is confidence in the promises of God. And love is not derived from ourselves, but supplied by the God who is love. These pieces of armor bring his light into a world that's constantly bombarded by the chaos of darkness. But Jesus is the light of the world, and we are privileged to be channels, channels of his light. Let's pray together. Father, You know exactly what each person here listening, watching needs. I pray, we pray, that we would be responsive to You, that we would not allow the darkness to captivate us, but that we would fling it off just as blind Bartimaeus threw off his cloak and we would would run toward Christ to receive from Him further demonstrations of your light and life and grace. We're so thankful that your light is coming and that day will come. We pray that you'd help us in these days of darkness, in the portion of the night just before the dawn, that you'd help us to be instruments of your light in this world that others would see that you have so provided in such a beautiful way everything that they need through Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.